Hey everybody, you're listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast, Episode 3. Today I have a special guest with me, Pile of Stuff. Greetings. How's it going, man? Oh, it's good. Good. Good to hear from you. Can you introduce yourself to the viewers a little bit, just so they know a little bit about you? Okay, well, I've uh, I've been doing a electronics and other hobby-ish stuff YouTube channel for three, three and a half years, something like that. Um, a lot of, uh, like... Arduino type stuff. Um, occasionally a model railroad project, but not that often. Um, just generally exploring ele- uh, hobby electronics, following my own interests, basically, and rolling the camera so people can follow along over my shoulder if they want. And as part of that, I'll do uh, mailbag uh, videos every couple of weeks, and people seem to enjoy that. So I'm buying stuff anyway, so I might as well just keep doing those too. Are you kidding? The the mailbag videos are really the the crux I feel of your of your channel because yeah you do like I don't want to take it away from you you do some really cool stuff but I find your process of what's interesting on eBay is just as interesting as your kind of like more ambitious projects. Can you can you tell me like what do you look for really on on eBay? What's your technique? What tickles your fancy? Um, a lot of times I'll just set up a search uh based or based on some random word and uh search through the auctions sorting by either what's ending soonest or what's cheapest and if if uh my gut reaction is oh that's cool i'll bid on it and if i'll usually lowball bid on it and if i get it then excellent and if i don't i'll go searching around and see if anybody else is selling that thing cheap it's uh, it's very organic and it's very just whatever makes me say, oh, that's cool. It's it's not any more planned than that. What would you say your success percentage is? Like, let's say you put in, um, you have a really good night and you put in 100 bids. How, how many of those do you think you're going to win? Oh, maybe 10%. <laughs> Ooh, it's, t- that's low. Yeah, I I put in really low ball bids um, and... Uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm not uh, I'm not choked if I don't get something cuz there's always 100 more of them coming up in the next month. But uh yeah, it's I'm not uh I'm not going deep into the auctions. I'm not uh spending a lot of effort and time and saying I must have this thing no matter what it costs because cheapness is a big part of how I'm doing all this hobby stuff actually. I remember when I started off in hobby electronics when I was a teenager decades and decades ago, um, it was like electronic parts were stupidly expensive and really hard to get your hands on back where I, where I was back in those days. So I just worked with scrounged parts and, and the cheapest stuff I could find. And for hobby stuff, I'm just staying with that theme because it's just where I came from. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm big on that too. I've got some parametric searches for auctions and stuff but i think in the end i win i probably win less than two percent of what i what i bid on i have my things sorted by so i have a search for a keyword um uh, auction a maximum of like a dollar fifty or two dollars being canadian obviously it's more like 99 cents us and so and uh then i have them sorted by ending soonest because that's the ones you know that you're not going to get your hopes up because if it's ending in a week, then what's the point? You you know you're going to get outbid. Yeah, almost always. Exactly. 
Yeah, and that ending soonest sort by uh, sort by cheapest does come up with some oddball stuff now and again, and some of it is things that oh wow I've always thought about that but I've never bothered to look for it, and some of it is oh look something I never knew existed this might be interesting, and for a dollar or two there's no risk really even if it's crap it might be fun to take apart and poke fun at. Well, you must be like. And stop me if I'm going too far here, but but you must be close to coming out even on your cheaper stuffs on your mailbags because I can see like your mailbags get somewhere between three and four thousand views per per episode, something like that. Am I wrong? Um, I don't actually look too carefully at how much revenue the AdSense is making off the uh, off the individual videos. Um, I try to just keep my monthly buy for mailbag stuff at around what my Patreon supporters are paying minus the cost of a couple of beers once in a while. And that has been for the last year or more, pretty much funding the mailbags. That said, there have been a few more expensive things that I've been ordering lately, just like one a month, maybe just as something different and unique and not from the usual scumbags uh, on eBay but just to sort of spread it out a little bit, partly because eBay's been being a bit less uh, reliable lately. Oh, yeah. Just with international shipping and uh, the plague and things like that. Whenever I see something shipped by Orange Connects, I get I get thrilled because they are so much quicker uh, and they always show up and they have awesome tracking. I, I, get, I get hyped. Yeah, I've been seeing lately quite a bit of stuff that's been... Uh, drop shipped from a, a warehouse in Mississauga right by the airport. So that kind of stuff I'm getting in like a week to 10 days after I order it, but you never know when it's coming from there because they'll just ship it by however they want to. Yeah. I feel that's the, when you get the, the orange connects, like with the ES uh, number, the, the long, long tracking numbers that start with ES, I feel like that's all coming from that warehouse. And I think what they do is I think they're air mailing like a whole a whole load of stuff to that one warehouse everything coming to canada goes to that one warehouse and then they just give it they give it over to canada post and then canada post uh, drops it off in in the mailbox i think that's why cuz typically they have um the orange connects label and then it's covered by like an express post label on top yeah yeah i'm just trying to just digging right now in my old mail pile beside me but i can't find one of course when i'm looking for it but uh yeah I've, I've noticed that they have multiple layers and the original tracking number is buried under the canada post relabel so if you look uh if you ever get one again in the lower right hand corner and i'm sorry viewers this is very specific to if you order stuff from china and it shows <laughs> up from canada um but if you look at the lower right hand side of the label, you'll see the ES number there. It says reference and then there's like a, the ES number there. So that's the only way I can track it back to what I actually purchased. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did find one. Yeah, I see that. Hmm. So that might help you find out what it was in the first place. Yeah. Uh, normally, I uh, just after I open it. Uh, okay, let's, let's back up a second here. When I when I'm doing the mailbags, what you're seeing is is the first time that I've opened that package too. And I don't usually go and dig up the tracking number and try and figure out what it is. I just, when it comes in, I put a post-it note on it saying what day it showed up. And then when I'm doing the mailbags, 
I'll go and search through my history until I find that after I've opened it. So I, I don't even bother tracking it that carefully. And a lot of times stuff mellows out in my first in first out mail buffer for sometimes months. So the listing is often expired by the time I actually get around to opening them on camera. So the, the tracking numbers can be useful, but I don't rely on them for anything really. That's uh that's actually interesting to, to, first of all, I, I knew you had a first in first out buffer because we've spoken in the past about it, but that's an interesting way to handle a mailbag. But I'll just, I'll let you know my procedure in case anybody's uh, interested. Um, since a lot of my viewers um, came from uh, your channel, they actually requested to know how long everything took to come in. And sometimes by the time you open it, um, you forgot what day it came in or even it's dropped off your eBay listing. So what I've taken to doing is when it comes in, I take the package and I see if I can figure out what it was I ordered, usually by using the tracking numbers or the reference numbers or sometimes the size and, and shape will, will give me an indication. And then what I do is I write the date that I received it, I write the date that I purchased it, I put the purchase price and then I black out my information and I put it in like I have a little uh, like a tool bag, like a Husky tool bag, and I put put it in there. And when I get five or more, then I start making um, mailbag videos out of them. So sometimes it takes several days uh, and sometimes several weeks for a package to sit there. And I'll be quite honest with you in that time of several days, several weeks, I'll typically forget what it was. <laughs> yeah, I've so people have accused me in the comments before of of faking it that I don't know what I've ordered, but yeah, okay, I know that I've ordered a bunch of these things, but I don't remember. Like it's it's well, let me look, just look at the buffer here. The, the first thing in the next mailbag is something that I ordered on May Saturday that uh yeah, I think the posted the postage uh, date on it's May 7th. And Holy. that and that will get opened. Well, I'm not sure where, when this is going to become public, but in about a week or two from when we're recording this. Yeah, so probably uh, a couple weeks after uh, that after that video goes goes live. I'm guessing because uh, I'm trying to get a whole bunch of these uh, podcasts done so I can release them, have content while I'm back to teaching because that's going to be uh, that's going to be a pain in the butt. It's a, usually a large time sink. Uh, yeah, full-time jobs tend to be like that. Yeah, and I, yeah, I suppose and this one's not even full-time. I suppose teaching is going to be kind of being a little bit weird this season. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll be very weird considering I teach a technical trade, and I'm expecting to I'm expected to teach it mostly from home. Aha! Uh -huh. Except for labs and stuff, presumably. Exactly, and they came through, and they they put ugh, they gave me a map of. It's a big garage. It's basically as deep as it is wide, and there's um, seven seven bays in this garage. And they went and made like a walking plan, like you can only circulate in the garage in one direction. But it's like it's a wide open space. You can trust us to be six feet apart. And even so, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that we're all going to be wearing masks anyways. I know I will. Like, I don't I don't even care if it's the rule or not. I know I'll be wearing a mask. So, yeah. yeah, it's... Slowly, yeah slowly people are getting used to that. And hopefully back to school is going to trigger an awful lot of people that have been reluctant to wear masks to actually start doing it. 
is that a is that a problem in your your area? Are you seeing a lot of people resisting the mask wearing? Not not openly and publicly, but uh, up until a few weeks ago, Manitoba had really low numbers. Like we had two weeks with no uh, no new cases at all. Ooh, uh, with no active cases. I'm sorry. Um, and then things happened, and I think province wide we're up to a hundred and some active cases at the moment. So it's it's not nearly this uh, as centered on everybody's mind uh, just because there's you know, not as many cases around, but uh, more and more people as the case numbers are rising are starting to mask up when they're going into grocery stores and going in, into you know, Home Depot or wherever. It's not uh, it's not mandated in your province. Nope, not at this time. Really? Uh, for schools, it will be. Um, and individual stores are starting to mandate it, but they're right now they're debating whether or not it should be mandatory on transit and pointing out that people are already assaulting bus drivers for telling them to pay their fare. So who's going to enforce it? And it's, it's a whole debate. <laughs> See, that's nuts. Cause when I, I'll just say about uh, three years ago when I started teaching, um, I, I take public transport to go, uh, to go to school because um, I think a bus pass was like a hundred and some dollars a month and the parking at the school was like nearly 200 a month so I was like well That's you'd have to be an idiot <laughs> yeah so but the thing is when I was riding the bus and and just looking around at the general population and don't don't forget my town I, I live in Ottawa so it's pretty affluent and I can see like people like playing with their nose, like like scratching themselves, like like down their pants, and and you know touching all the surfaces. And I got to the point where I was like, if I need to scratch my face between the time when I stepped onto the bus and the time that I can get to a sink at the college, I can't do that. So I started carrying um, hand sanitizer with me about three years ago, so that as soon as I get off the bus, I can I can you know wash my hands or like sanitize my hands and then I can go to the bathroom and actually wash them. I got to that point because of people observing. So I was way ahead of this trend. <laughs> I think that's tra public transit just about anywhere. Just because yeah, but it's I think, the most affordable way to move around. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I mean, you know, like if you don't, it's, if you're in your own world on your phone, you don't notice how disgusting other people could be. <laughs> True that. Yeah, so this pandemic really brought stuff yeah. to, to light. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more hyper aware of other people's activity right now. And just I, fortunately in my day-to-day my -day job, I'm alone most of the time. I'm in an equipment shack somewhere that nobody else has been in in a month. Or I'm in my truck going between two of those equipment shacks. So the, the closest I ever get to people is the drive through at lunchtime kind of thing. Most days, so it's... Fortunately, it hasn't impacted my day-to-day -day activity all that much so far. So we've been talking um, for the last little while, and um, you've always you've always told told me that you've been busy with work because you're on call or or whatever. Can you just explain kind of what you do for a living, just in broad strokes? Yeah, sure. So I, I work for a, for a telephone company, looking after the equipment at the cellular towers. Um, the Basically, all the equipment in the shack at the bottom of the tower, uh, be it fiber optics or the cellular radio equipment themselves or microwave radio or fiber muxes or 
power systems, any of that related stuff. There's a small team of us that looks after that. And even the three guys in my immediate work circle, I see we had to make an appointment on Monday mornings to go to Tim Hortons to actually see each other. Normally that's the only time in a week that we'd see each other. And now with, with this uh, pandemic, uh, we're not even doing that. So I only really encounter those guys when I uh, stop at the warehouse to get parts and one of them happens to be there. So level with me then. Um, are you the one that has access to the mind control 5g chips or is that <laughs> beyond your level of access? If that existed, I wouldn't know about it. <laughs> mm, I see. Because uh, that's also what I would tell my employees to say. So that's quite it's quite convenient. <laughs> yeah. And in anybody locally that asks me about it, I point out that uh, out of the, uh, the order of installation across the country in Winnipeg, eh, maybe five years, that stuff will be here. Oh, oh yeah. Like I don't think we have any 5g installations in in ottawa yet i'm sure toronto has a few but yeah not, toronto not a lot toronto vancouver me there might be one or two in montreal but other than that yeah it's not um it's it's gonna take years to to get rolled out and when L, when lte came in it took probably five or six years between the first installation in toronto and it going live in smaller places like Prince Edward Island or Newfoundland. Yeah. So that, that, that's the timeline that's going to be. You geographically challenged uh, listeners out there. Pull up a map of uh, North America and uh, look, look about the West Coast, uh, maybe a little bit south of um, the United States and find California. Uh, and then look north of the U.S. and that's all Canada. So the population of California is larger than the population of Canada. So you can just figure why things take a lot longer for us here. That and our telcos are just as corrupt as yours. So there's. Yep. Everybody hates the telephone company that they pay, pay money to. It's that's pretty much an international uh, truth. Actually, which is why I don't tell anybody who I work for specifically. Yeah, that makes sense. But but to be honest, I hate uh, the telephone company that I don't have more than anything. So for for me, it would be uh, throwing shade to Bell Canada and and not not Rogers, who who I have. <laughs> Long yeah, story. I, maybe that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, uh, most people choose their phone company by uh, the one that they haven't been with before. Yeah, that's that's actually that's a, a real strategy for people like uh, like let's say uh, Rogers here. It's a one of our big telcos. Uh, they have like a subsidiary company they they own called uh, Fido, and they if you have only cable coaxial cable coming to your house, your choice is Rogers or a reseller of Rogers. So basically, if if Rogers you get upset at them and you say, you know, screw you, I'm going to go get another provider. Uh, either you're getting Fido, which is basically Rogers, or you're getting like a third party company that has to pay Rogers to use their lines. So, I mean, you're screwed either way. Yeah. And that's the same across the country too. In Manitoba, if you are, if you want internet or television over coax, it's Shaw or nobody else. Uh, Bell MTS uh, does have DSL but that's slow and super high compression rates and 
not all that uh, attractive either. Oh yeah, and, and a, a block away and from expensive. me. Oh yeah, expensive for sure. A block away from me, we have uh, Bell Fiber. In fact, I think the the fiber goes all the way, like uh, a few feet from my backyard, but they still refuse to to hook me up on it. They say nope. You know, your house faces the wrong way. You can't have fiber. Yeah, I've I've been seeing uh, crews out doing fiber to the home in my area, but I I haven't been involved with it. That's not. Uh not anything that I touch and I'm not concerned about it. I don't, I don't need any faster than I've already got for home internet. Uh, what kind of, at, at some point, um, I've, the package that I've got right now is about a 300 meg up or 300 meg downlink. So it's not too bad. Um, but even with four of us, con- four of us streaming in the house and, uh, my son gaming online, we're still not even close to saturating it. So why do you need more bandwidth if you're not using what you've already got? Because why not, says the guy with uh, gigabit internet. <laughs> we got uh, gigabit because uh, it's coming over coax and um, for some reason it's artificially upload limited to 35 megabit upload. And my wife streams on Twitch and we have a fluctuating connection because we're at the end of the line. So there's line reflections apparently in our, our line. I don't know if that says anything to you. It says nothing to me. But um, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. So we so we had to go with gigabit because it gave us uh, extra 15 megabits. So from from 20 to 35 to have more headroom for the wife's. uh, I think she has 5,500 megabits. She needs uh, or 55, 5.5 megabits uh, that she needs for her overhead. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you're uploading a video at the same time, that's going to take up a whole bunch of that. Yeah, I can't. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. But uh, speaking of uh, YouTube, uh, the latest video I've seen of yours, or was it the one before? Not sure. Anyways, it was uh, one of the greatest and most ambitious projects I've seen in a long time where you're going to try to DIY a Skycam. Can, can you talk a little bit about that project? Yeah, well, I've, I've sort of subtitled it uh, "Borrowing Top Gear's slogan: Ambitious but Rubbish." Mm-hmm. Um, that's so Skycam. For anybody who isn't familiar with it, um, basically, it's a system that allows you to fly a camera over a sports field. Typically, um, they got four massive winches at the corner of the stadium, going up to pulleys way high in the corners, and then coming down to the camera gimbal. That they and they can by controlling those winches put the camera anywhere in the stadium that they want to. Uh, it's a technology that started in the 80s. I remember seeing things about it in the broadcast magazines, and it just has always uh, seemed to be a really cool piece of technology to get a really unique video uh, image. Uh, you could do it these days with a drone, but nobody wants a drone flying around above a active sports field, obviously Uh, football or baseball could take it out or it could just crash down on the players or something. Nobody wants that. Plus this thing is silent because all the motors are way off in the corners of the stadium behind the stands. So uh, what I'm doing in my little room here, which is what 10 by 12 or something like that uh, uh, is I've rigged up stepper motors up in the four corners of the room uh, and run fishing line off to the center 
to where I'm going to have a camera hanging. And uh, that's kind of how, as far as I got in that video that you're referencing, um, I got it to move sort of uh, the stepper motor drivers are working properly. I've got an Arduino talking to it mostly, but I've got, a, I've uh, run into a bunch of mechanical issues, which I'm in the process of trying to solve. And hopefully some parts that I've ordered will show up eventually and help me with that. But yeah, it's, it's just always seemed like a really cool technology. And I figured I'd like to uh, give it a shot. I don't have any particular reason to have one. It just seemed like a cool thing to try. Are, are you kidding though? Cause you have, for, for those of you that don't know, um, pile of stuff, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but his recording bench is actually uh, below a model railroad setup. So having a Skycam available could make some really cool cinematic shots with his uh, model railroad setup. Yeah, that would also give me some motivation to actually finish some of the scenery because only about a quarter of the room is actually in a state that looks what you would call finished. The rest of it is just bare styrofoam with track running across it. Um, and like everybody's workshop, at least I consider everybody's workshop works this way because I don't want to feel bad, but like everybody's workshop, mine has basically become a whole bunch of horizontal surfaces to pile crap on. Absolutely. That's where your namesake comes from, right? I, I don't, yeah, uh, partly <laughs> I'd, uh, yeah, I, it'd probably take me half an hour to move stuff around if I wanted to run a train around the full loop at the moment. Um, I've been focusing more on the electronics hobbies and that one's kind of slid off a little bit just because I don't have infinite time, at least not until I retire <laughs> from my real job. Do you think... Then I probably won't have time either. Yeah. Do you think there's such a thing as an actual retirement for you, though? Uh, from my from my day-to-day -day job, sure. Because it's it's a big enough company. I've, uh, there's a, it's actually still got a proper pension, stuff like that. So I will have no trouble throwing the keys to somebody and walking out the door when that magic uh, number hits um, that I'm, that I'm eligible for the pension because then I can afford to not go to work on Monday morning or not carry a pager and go to work at 3 AM in the rain. But would you actually stop working or would you just work in a, you know, more abstract term, like do well, more YouTube videos, for example? Oh, absolutely. You, YouTube is definitely part of my, uh, quote, retirement plan. Um, I'm hoping that uh, by that time, which is several years out, but I'm I'm hoping that by that time it's it's built to a to a level where it will actually be paying me enough to keep food on the table, and then I don't have to don't have to worry about that stuff. But who knows? YouTube is can be so flaky with the monetization. You never know from one month to the next uh, what their advertising policy is going to be and and how much money there is going to be right now. So, you know, at the size that you and I are right now, there's not huge scads of money coming in. Uh, I, I shouldn't try and speak for you, but I know in general, but a YouTube channel that's, you know, under 10,000, um, there's no way that anybody can make that a full-time job. It's just not possible. I'll say um, with the sponsorship deals with uh, PCB Way. Uh, if I count my Patreon money, my AdSense money, and if everything that is sent to me for free, like they sent me a check instead, I would still be uh, balls deep in the red. So, 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I've, for my YouTube channel, I'm still keeping it more as if it was my hobby. Yeah. I've got Patreon. Yeah. I've got, uh, uh, the YouTube ads turned on, but I don't have any of that cranked up to the max. I'm not pushing it the way that the people that are trying to go from zero to a million in a month are doing. I'm trying to keep it really casual and just, just enjoying doing what I'm doing. And if people are watching, that's great. Um, if you choose not to, uh, have an ad blocker, fine. If you do, I don't care that much. If you choose to throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar at Patreon, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But again, I, I would be doing most of this tinkering stuff anyway. I just happened to turn the camera on or at least that's where it started, right? Now I'm trying to maintain a little bit more of a schedule and make it a little bit more formalized, but I'm still not doing any projects that I wouldn't want to do anyway. And if I'm doing a tear, if I'm doing a teardown of something, it's because I'm following my own curiosity, not because I figure that, Hey, the world should see this. I don't care, but the world should see it. Nah, that's not how I'm doing it. Yeah, no, that's, that's very valid. I've like, I've modified my workflow a little bit. Um, I have to say that uh, doing things for the camera is a little bit different than doing things on my own. Um, so obviously I'm doing things a little bit more step by step. I still do things very haphazard, which uh, triggers a lot of people. But I mean, it is what it is. Like, I don't need a, a board holder for every single board that I solder. I'm sorry. I, I can just squeeze it onto the mat and it's and it's fine. But um, overall, I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing I do, aside from the very um, polished, like tutorially type videos, which I do very purposefully, and I put a lot of thought into them to try to like uh, guide people by the hand. Th those kinds of videos are very uh, planned. But I mean, the teardowns, the repairs, the mailbags—they're all kind of off the cuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will do a little bit of research ahead of time just so I don't sound like a complete idiot. But a lot of the things, I'm not going too deep and I'm not going into really complicated stuff. Um, if it is something that I've never played with before, like when I got started with Arduino, I spent a lot of time researching it because I was interested in the topic and I wanted to know about it. But as a side effect of doing that research for my own benefit, I can talk relatively intelligently about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing where you know, you have the base down. Yeah. Like, like basically, you know, we, we have it all down and it's the specifics where, where I, at least myself, that's where I fumble is, is in the specifics of things. And obviously I have my strengths and weaknesses. Like my weakness for sure is coding. Like it's ridiculous watching some professional, like, like, um, another maker go nuts on, on the keyboard. And I'm just like, what, what is he even talking about? You know? Oh yeah. And I'm, I, I freely admit, probably I say it too often, that, that I'm just crap at coding and I'm not that interested in it. But the code is a necessary evil, from my point of view, to making this cool Arduino hardware run. So, but if I if I get in over my head with coding, I just happen to have a teenager upstairs who actually enjoys it. So if I can coax him out of his cave, I can uh, usually get some pretty good code from him. Oh, that's, that's really good. Uh, how old are, are your kids, if you don't mind me asking, or at least the general range of how old they are? Uh, my son's in, in second year university and my daughter's uh, going into grade 12 this year. 
Oh, wow. So I thought they were a lot, a little bit younger than that. But then again, I've been watching you for a few years. So (laughs) yeah. And warped perspective, maybe I don't mention, I don't mention them that often, except for just as a, a side thing or a joke. Although both of them have had their hand show up on my channel at least once. Oh, I don't think I've seen your son's hand, but I know that you fixed your daughter's uh, music box. Yeah. Or was it the music box or was it the um, uh, the, the 3D printing pen? One of them, I remember blue fingernails of some sort, and, yeah. and I was pretty sure they weren't yours. Yeah, no. It's, yeah, no, the, uh, I, th- I think that was, well, actually, yeah, she was, she was in both of them, or at least her hands were. And uh, yeah, that, uh, I was surprised at that music box video. Um, it just. And it didn't take off. It no, nobody was interested for a while, and then just before Christmas, it skyrocketed, <laughs> and all of a sudden, it it's been really? it's been one of my most popular videos every month since December of last year. Even even now, it's like the second or third most popular video in any given month behind the current mailbag videos, and it's it's yeah, over I a year old at. Uh... I've had at 19,000 views. You know, I personally enjoyed that that video, but I, like, oh yeah, that's where I recognize the the fingernails. It's your thumbnail. Oh yeah. Her um her hands are your thumbnail. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, I you know I don't think there is any video that uh, that you've put out that I didn't genuinely enjoy. I don't always uh, comment because I I t- typically. Like some of the stuff you do is, is a little over my head anyways, so I don't really have much to say, but I usually try to add a comment there just for the uh, YouTube algorithm. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm not sure how, how big a deal comments are to the algorithm. I mean, it's one of the things it looks at, I think, but I think more importantly is retention and like how long somebody watches the video for and if they click on the video when they see the thumbnail, I, I think those are the bigger things. But they, it's not just a monolithic thing. Every little bit helps, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And and obviously, YouTube doesn't share because then people could game it, right? So that's that's what oh, they're trying to avoid. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they have a few things that they would prefer people to do. So that's the stuff that they put out publicly. But yeah, they uh, they play their cards pretty close to the chest on most of how that algorithm works. There's a lot of interesting conspiracy theories, and I'm pretty sure most of them are dead wrong. Yeah, but there's probably a true aspect to all of them. One little green, maybe, yeah. There's... Yeah. Um. So, about your your YouTube videos, then, do you have any sort of like future projects uh, in mind that you're just uh, chomping at the bit to do, but you don't you don't haven't done them yet because of time or because of uh, physical limitations, like you don't have the stuff you need. Um, not a lot at the moment. At one point I was organized enough to have a list written on the calendar of potential topics, but, uh, then I forgot to look at that for a few months at a time and just lost interest in those things. So for the most part, I don't know what my next video is going to be more than about a week ahead of it. Uh, maybe even not that, uh, this Skycam attempt project thing that one I'm going to probably revisit about once a month, give or take, depending on how long it takes for parts to get here and how much time I have to tinker on it. Because the problems I've got to solve on it are going to get bigger the further I get into it, I'm sure, because I'm probably being pretty naive at how much it's going to uh, going to take to get this to work. 
but I'll figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with having a long-term project that you just poke at when you've got time. Absolutely. Like I'm just, I'm trying to picture the the challenges involved. And aside from the things you've already said you were going to deal with, um, like for example, the, um, the, the fishing line uh, despooling from the, from the shaft. Um, I, I don't really see that many challenges and I'm, I'm just trying to be cautious on, on what I say here because obviously there's more than meets the eye. It's a, it's a complex process, but I don't think there's anything that's going to be over your head, so to speak. Yeah. I, I think the biggest problem is going to be the software and I've already farmed that out to my, uh, to my son who is like a good teenager, mostly ignoring it. So that, that's going to happen eventually, but, uh, there is a fair bit of geometry in, because you're not just running one spool in and one spool out, because depending on where you're moving, it affects all four cables. So you've got to do an awful lot of uh, math to figure out where in the room the thing is. Yeah, this is true. This is true. But if there's something that, um, that silicon is good at doing, it's math, really. Yeah, yeah, you just got to tell it how to do it properly so the thing doesn't crash into the floor or the ceiling. Yeah, see, you may have a code monkey at home, but I've got a resident uh, engineer here, so I would just farm the math out to my my engineer if I if I had the option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I I have started working on a couple of different variants on some of the mechanical problems, and I've uh, I've had an offer from a couple of people to send me some things that they think might help, so. That might be interesting. If you go through the comments on the video, you'll see some of those uh, offers and suggestions. Um, I think ultimately I am going to have to bite the bullet and start doing 3D printing, um, but we'll see how that goes. That's another skill that I'll have to learn then. Not the mechanical printing part, but the CAD part. That's something I've never had to touch before. So who knows what direction I might go in. Although I doubt that I'll be putting a lot of focus on that part of the stuff in the videos because watching somebody do CAD is probably pretty boring. I don't think I'd want to watch it, so I don't think I'd want to make other people watch it. Do you know the technique that Gadget Reboot uses? He puts a picture-in-picture in the lower right-hand corner of him like uh, soldering up a board or something. I think that would be like the ideal way to show your, your CAD process because then you could be doing something interesting on the main screen but if we're interested on on how the the cad model was made then at least we have the option of looking down in the corner and you can always rewatch videos two or three times right yeah yeah and i've i have been impressed at how he's uh, he's shifted his editing style to allow for that there it is hard to do that kind of stuff and make it look interesting the same as reviewing a piece of code it's it's hard to make that interesting which is why I tend to gloss over it fairly quickly, but I'll put a link to the code somewhere uh, if people actually care to look at it and go deeper into it. But typically I, I try really hard not to, uh, not to dwell on that, but it's, it's hard to strike the balance between interesting, boring, informative, uh, who cares? You know, it's, it, the editing is always, is always the hardest part of the video and mostly just to try and keep it interesting and not lose people's interest. Speaking of editing, um, so for those of you who don't know, um, a pile of stuff is a, is a, um, how do the kids say it these days? A Linux fanboy? Is it, would, would fan, fanboy be an accurate description? Uh, I'm not, 
not sure fanboy. I just, uh, whatever the opposite of that is, is how I started thinking about uh, Microsoft probably 10 plus years ago. Um, yeah. And I just, okay, I don't, uh, I don't really need to be forced to upgrade into a new paid version of the operating system. And I don't want to be constantly dealing with, uh, with those headaches. So, Hey, look at what these penguins are doing. Let's try that. And it worked and I just never stopped. So what does your uh, editing I, process look like on, on Linux then? Because I guess, uh, stuff like premiere pro and, uh, um, stuff like that is out of the question. Yeah, there are some, uh, some commercial packages available and, uh, some, uh, packages that are available free to individuals, but, uh, paid for commercial, but what I'm using, and I guess maybe fanboy is okay. I'm, I try to stick with, uh, with actual open source software as much as I can, rather than, uh, vendor supported software because proprietary vendor supported software can go away and be locked up, uh, in a code vault somewhere, uh, if the company dies, but an open source project, somebody can just fork it and take over and, uh, and the project lives on, uh, Okay. That was an aside. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm <laughs> what software you use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I'm using a program called uh, Kden live or KDE and live. Uh, it's, uh, even though I'm using Ubuntu as my Linux, uh, uh, this comes from the KDE, uh, distribution of Linux, but it, it works just as well. And it's got, it's more powerful than anything you've seen me do so far. Um, I'm only using about 10% of its capability. Um, but of the editors that I was experimenting with, it was the first one that I came across when I was digging to that, uh, didn't bog my, my crappy old system down and didn't crash on me. Even when I threw something, uh, with lots of layers and things at it. So I just stuck with it. And I think, I think yeah, I've been using it for about a year and a half now. And there's been upgrades and tweaks happen to it and more capabilities added to it. Most of which again, aren't things that I need to use for the relatively simple videos that I'm editing. That's the other thing. I try not to put in a lot of flash and trash edits. I try to keep it fairly straightforward and simple, partly because I don't really enjoy editing. Um, it just seems like another one of those necessary evils in order to get the video out. So I will do that. I definitely, I don't blame you for not liking editing. Like editing to me means I have to listen to my own voice. And I mean, I can't believe, uh, 5,500 of you people like it enough to subscribe. So, um, yeah, editing is quite, quite the chore for me. Um, I put out a video to my Patreons showing my, editing process so if you're interested you can sign up there i don't think that video will ever go live but yeah it's just basically trimming like the basic editing is trimming the beginning and end of the clips putting them all in order uh tacking them together doing a little bit of noise reduction um adding text over where i've uh screwed up and forgot to mention something or screwed up and mentioned the wrong thing uh, yep. <laughs> and then every once in a while i'll go a little bit more intense like i'll i'll try to add some effects like zooming or uh, add a picture in picture or something like that but yeah mostly it's just simple linear editing stuff yeah and adding a zoom in editing can 
all of a sudden make it uh, look like you're doing a two camera shoot or you've got multiple angles and, and help you focus on stuff and just sort of break up the monotony of just a single shot, which is what most of my first year or more videos were just a single static shot that never changed. And I'm actually surprised people watched them. And I think that's fairly common with a lot of people on YouTube, their first dozen or two dozen videos. And you go back and look at them. It's just like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> but, I, uh, there is probably some useful information in there and there's no real reason to delete it. I don't know. I'll, I'll own my mistakes. That's if it's, if it's a bad old video, I don't care. I'll own that. That's where I came from. That's the reality of the situation. Yeah. And that's something that, that people have to sort of understand is that, uh, when you're making your own YouTube content, you don't have a writer, you don't have a producer, you don't have an editor, uh, you don't have a fact checker. You don't have a lawyer. You don't have, you know, you, you don't have researchers. You don't have, uh, you know, in my case, I don't even have a friggin' snack table or anything like that. Um, it's really just you your and your camera. And honestly, it's, it's a bit weird if you think about it, because we're just like talking to ourselves in our basements while the camera's rolling. I, at least in my case, that's what it is. Pretty much the same here, too. <laughs> I mean, YouTube is just this weird thing where you get to be fully vulnerable for like little to no gains. Yeah, but I mean, you're you're we're all sort of building a small little community around what we're doing. If if you look at the bigger maker channels like Jimmy Daresta and uh, guys like that, they've built a whole community of people that make stuff in their workshops surrounding them. And there's a whole community of YouTube channels sprung up around those guys. And I think that's great. I mean, you and I chat uh, offline and there's a couple of other uh, relatively small electronics YouTubers that, that uh, I think you chat with and I do as well um, in various different places. And it's, and it's a small community. And I recognize a lot of people in my comments that also comment on your videos and on a lot of, uh, other videos of channels of our size, but also I see those same people commenting on the bigger channels like Julian Islet and big Clive and great Scott and even EEV blog and guys of that scale. So it is a bit of a community that, that slowly builds around these things. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I honestly think that if, uh, if any of our, our viewers have, some electronics uh, passion or, or skill or something to add to the community. I mean, go nuts, make your own YouTube channel because the more the community grows, the more, the, the better it'll be. Like any growth is, is good growth in a, uh, in a community or, or a hobby, so to speak. Yeah. And that's essentially what it becomes is sort of like the old school hobby clubs where like, all the all the guys that haul their latest project down to the back room in the community center once a month and show each other what they're working on. I mean, there used to be electronics clubs like that. There still are a few model railroads clubs like that. Uh, ham radio guys. I'm sure woodworkers, model makers, pretty much any hobby has a history of clubs where people would get together and share. And I think this is sort of becoming a bit of that. Yeah. Quite possibly. I mean, the internet is the is the great way to link 
you know separate communities together into into one one group he's done a lot of uh, a lot of bad stuff too by you know um, showing the terrible people the way to find other terrible people that are just like them but but for the most part it's been very positive because these little uh, hobbies like obviously I'm a little bit too young to remember running to Radio Shack to pick up a 74 HC 959 but those kinds of people get to not be the only ones uh, that in their community to, to have those hobbies right they can connect with people in other communities and feel less alone right bounce ideas off of troubleshoot all that stuff Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was, uh, grew up on a farm, small town, rural Manitoba. There was literally nobody within 20 miles who knew which end of a soldering iron was up. Um, nobody knew what a transistor was. Everybody knew there was that one guy who could fix that stuff. Right. Um, and even the local TV repairman, well, in retrospect, he wasn't all that great at what he was doing. He was just following the magic numbers, but that wasn't his interest. He was just doing it because there was money in it. So, but now, I mean, we can probably list off 50 or 75 other hobbyists who have YouTube channels who are doing projects that we're interested in seeing that we might want to do, or we might want to do a variation of, or it's just be encouraging to that person to follow their project absolutely 100 percent. is there like um do you have like a, a north star kind of uh youtube channel that you think if you had more um i don't know more wherewithal or more effort or more equipment you'd really like to have your channel in that sort of style or are you pretty much uh like really happy with where you are and what you're doing now yeah, I'm not really trying to direct my videos into any particular style. I'm I'm just following where my interests take me. Um, as I get better, get more experience editing, I'm getting a little bit better at it. I'm trying to get a little bit better at the storytelling, which is mostly in the editing. Um, when I'm doing a project, I'll just set the camera recording and record for however long it takes and then try and knock that several hours worth of video down to 20 minutes or less but uh i'm i am getting a little bit better at sort of narrating what i'm doing as i'm doing it in a relatively intelligent uh, way at least i think i am i'm not sure people aren't complaining about it anyway but again that's the video is almost secondary to what i'm doing i'm i'm doing something that i would that i want to do and just happen to be recording it I think if I had a dearth of time and skill and equipment, I would love my channel to look something like this old Tony's channel. Every <laughs> single video that guy puts out is like honestly a Hollywood blockbuster. Between oh yeah, like... his, ed his editing game is so on point and his sense of humor comes through so well. Um, he's good at the storytelling thing. But even him... Um, I've heard a sort of a secondhand conversation. Um, again, I keep mentioning this guy. He, he called up Jimmy Duresta, went down and sat down and had coffee with him and they just chatted for a couple hours. And then I heard Duresta's side of this story on one of the podcasts that he's on. He said, this old Tony is a little bit insecure about his editing and his storytelling and his video making as well. I think everybody is. 
Um, and also he was saying that if you, if you rewatch his videos, there's not a huge amount of live action. The majority of it is static shots, but there's a whole bunch of them cut together really clever. Oh yeah. Um, and he's just landed on that style. It's developed over time. If you go back and watch his earliest videos, he's like every, like everybody, he's a little bit more tentative. He's a little bit more timid about, uh, making the broad jokes and stuff. But now his, some of the, uh, gags that he sets up, the whole video is almost a setup for one joke at the end that, that he doesn't even point at or mention. He just lets it go. And if people see it, that's the whole point of the video and it's just brilliant. But that's, that's having a really good comedy sense, I think. Oh man, his, I don't know, his, his videos are, are honestly like if, if I had to pick a style that I want my videos to be like, it would, it would be his, it's just like, like the, the fact that, that he's seems to, that, that someone uh, seems to think that he has uh, some insecurities about his editing style is just, is just proof of how pervasive the imposter syndrome could be, right? Like it, oh, it's absolutely. In, it's insane. Like I feel it, the imposter syndrome all the time being like in my um, teaching job and doing YouTube. And when people, especially when people like compliment my stuff, I, I feel, I feel like it's not deserved. I, even, I mean, I even made a video on this and just to show you how validating it is to, to have imposter syndrome uh, and then make a video about it and only get 200 views in the last year. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of like my brain's like, see, see, nobody cares. But, but you know, to, to hear that someone like this old Tony, which I would honestly, if there was some sort of awards that I could give out, it would go to him for editing. It does make me feel a little better for sure. The other guy in the DIY world who's really got an amazing editing style is Frank Howarth. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. He's a, he's a woodworker. Um, he's an architect by trade. He's a woodworker. He does a lot of stop motion animation sequences in the middle of his videos. Um, he does a lot of CAD overlays into his videos. Uh, he does them almost entirely in voiceover because he has a massive stutter, but you never know it from his voiceover because he's editing it and he's in full control of it. But because huh. of that, he's really, really nervous. That's, I mean, that's valid. I completely get why someone would, would be nervous, but, um, that, that's incredible that he edits it out to such success. Cause there's some people who have just given up on the trolls, right? Like, uh, who is it? Um, uh, Andreas, uh, Spice, I think you pronounce his yep. name. Uh, he yeah, has to the, wear gloves. The guy with the Swiss accent. Yeah. Yeah, he has to wear gloves because people were commenting on his hands or something. I I don't I don't really know the story there, but like, I remember, man, yeah, go I remember home him trolls. mentioning that. Yeah, yeah, I remember him mentioning that, and also that's why he doesn't uh, appear on camera as much as he did initially, because people were being assholes about it. Feel free to edit that. <laughs> it, that is but, that is staying. Yeah. But like but, even people uh, like uh, Learn Electronics, uh, he has a disclaimer in his underneath all of his videos saying that he has like a heart condition and that's why his hands are swollen to leave him the hell alone. And you have a disclaimer in your videos saying 
that this isn't the best way to do it, but this is how I do it, right? Something like that? Yeah, um, this isn't the only way to do it. This isn't the best. It might not even be the best way to do it, but it's how I did it. Yeah, it's, and I put that up there pretty much on day one uh, before anybody had commented or anything just to head that off because I'd seen it in other people's uh, comment sections. Yeah, I I mean, look, I, I get my own uh, trolls. Like I get people saying this is wrong. Uh, sometimes I have to laugh because what they're telling me I messed up, they're actually misunderstanding. Like they their understanding is wrong. But like when you're just to give you perspective, when you're a commenter and all you're doing is cutting down something someone's done and you have nothing to back it up aka you don't give the 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 right way to do it if you say the way that that we've done it is wrong or you don't have your own youtube channel showing how to do the stuff the right way um that has no credence Uh, like i don't know about pile of stuff but i will just usually i'll just either leave your comment to be buried or i'll just delete it because that's not a constructive anything yeah, most, I've noticed that too, and not just on YouTube either, but most of the people who leave the the most you're doing it wrong type comments don't have any history anywhere of showing that they could actually do it any better. So it, that that doesn't bother me. And I've heard from some of the larger channels actually that once you get a really big and loyal fan base, the fans will attack the trolls and just chop them down to the point where the troll will often delete their own comment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, and, I'll, you know, deserving I'll be thrilled so. when that happens. <laughs> Actually, that has happened a couple of times uh, uh, to me as well. People have uh, said, or people have replied to the trolls and uh, told them either they're an idiot or they don't know what they're talking about or leave me alone or whatever. And it's, that feels great. Just knowing that there's somebody in your corner, even if you didn't ask them to be there, that they're still there for you. Absolutely, I've had I've had that happen as well, but it's not not super often. I get more, I get more troll comments on the higher view um, videos where my regular viewers don't go back and rewatch, which which is which is fine. But um, yeah, mainly it's on the the higher view videos because I guess if you get more overall uh, people watching, then you also get more riffraff, right? Yeah, it is exactly. what it is. But hey, their their uh, click still counts, I guess, to the algorithm. So, they, oh, absolutely. Feel free to watch. <laughs> yeah, feel free to and watch. Just if you can't say anything nice. I mean, even even if they, I mean, I almost feel bad for these people. Like, imagine how how bad a mood you have to be in to go online and just poo poo everything that you see. Like, just it's sad. Yeah, it's, it is that uh, you, you do need to grow a bit of a thick skin when you're putting yourself out there uh, like uh, like we do and like so many others do. Even just a simple comment on Reddit, people can uh, can jump in and just be complete idiots about it. But Oh, absolutely. As far as I can tell, that's the internet going back to day one or maybe day two when there was more than one person on it. <laughs> yeah, when people were playing uh, text-based RPGs with each other. Yeah, and still trashing each other somehow. <laughs> um, since you've mentioned Reddit, uh, can I take this moment and, and promote uh, your subreddit, like the one you started? Oh, sure. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so uh, Pile of Stuff is the creator and I'm guessing only admin for the moment of um, r slash mailbag videos. So if you enjoy the, the type of content that, uh, that, that Pile of Stuff makes and uh, I make uh, mailbag videos, actually quite a few, there's quite a few and I think I got my genesis um, from watching uh, Julian Eilitz. But if you want to see that kind of video, you just go over to the subreddit, uh, reddit.com, well, sorry, old.reddit.com slash r slash mailbag videos, and you'll find mostly um, they'll be posted there. Um, I always forget to post mine, so Pile of Stuff kindly puts mine up. But uh, I think you're pretty good about putting yours up, though. Yeah, I, I mostly get mine and anybody who's in my subscriptions on uh, on YouTube, if they haven't posted it, I will usually find it and post it there. And I guess I'll put out an invitation to anybody who knows about any mailbag videos on any channels and it doesn't have to be electronics. I posted a couple of makeup ones that my wife watches um, a long time ago. Um, feel free to contribute uh there's there's only I think forty or fifty uh, subscribers to that subreddit, but um, yeah, absolutely feel free to post links in there uh, if you know of any uh, any other channels that are doing mailbag videos. Might as well spread the word. And just a little pro tip for you that want uh, inside information: um, posting comments on those um, on those mailbag videos is a great way to reach. Um, the poster of of the mailbag video because i don't know about pile of stuff but when i open my reddit account i typically only get like like one or two um, comment replies per week so if you really want have your stuff discovered like if you really want to have your comment discovered commenting on on that subreddit might be a good idea for you yeah that uh that certainly would uh would get the attention get my attention um, or anybody who posts, like I said, you post on there. I think Gadget Reboot posts his his mailbag videos, and I think another maker does too. And I've seen a couple of other people that uh, that I've informed that the thing exists. But for the most part, there's not that many of us posting there. And just just the more the merrier. Jump in. Yeah, I think. But yeah, um... if uh, I I get a little bit more replies than you do on Reddit, but mostly because I spend a lot of time there and I occasionally say stupid things or I say smart things that stupid people disagree with one or the other. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I got tired of being slapped by our um, slash electronic mods and, and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't spend as much time on Reddit um, logged in as I should, but um, yeah, there's definitely a, a time and a place for it for sure. It can be a massive time sink if you let it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I usually, you know what, I post the most on the YouTuber kind of subreddits because um, I really, I think doing YouTube as a, as a hobby is very difficult because there's no like clearly defined rules and even like the YouTube terms of service and the best practices, they change all the time. So I don't, yep. yeah. I don't expect anybody new to really have an idea of what to do or how to do it because it's a moving target and there's not a lot of good information and when you do find information that seems convincing that information is typically trying to sell you a service so it's not great information yeah and i i see on that same newtuber subreddit 
read it, I see a lot of the same either bad or misconstrued information again and again. I see a lot of new people coming in asking the same questions based on, you know, either bad assumptions or really old information. I think the most common question that I've seen there recently is what time of day should I upload my videos to get the best results? If you're small, if you don't have a subscriber base, it really doesn't matter. No, it um, doesn't. Uh, until you've got a loyal audience that can anticipate your uploads, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's more important to be at the same time, the same day of the week, every, every week, if you intend to grow an audience as fast as possible. Um, what else? Uh, I think I touched on it already. They ask, Oh, should I don't, should I delete these old videos that I think are cringy? Nah, leave them there. They're not doing you any harm. The algorithm doesn't look at channel wide. It looks at each video individually. And uh, that's something that, uh, the YouTube staff has said again and again, the algorithm doesn't care about channels. It, and it's not even the job of the algorithm to promote videos and to promote a channel. The algorithm's job is to find videos for viewers to keep viewers watching. It doesn't care what channel they're from. It doesn't care what topic they're from. It just tries to give viewers what they want. And that's, it, it's important if you're going to be doing YouTube to think like a viewer when you're thinking about a lot of how to grow your channel. What, if you were in there as a viewer today, what would you be looking for? How would you react to the videos that you're shown? If somebody else made the video that you just made, would you watch it? Would you even search for it? Right. That's, that's more the kind of thing that I think is important. And I try and suggest when, when people that uh, are just new to YouTube come in and, uh, and try and look for guidance. Speaking of which, um, why are your thumbnails such uh don't make me say low effort, but compared no, to the big YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no, they are completely low effort. As a matter of fact, 90% of the time they are one of the three uh, frames that YouTube suggests as an automated thumbnail. Oh Partly my God. because, yeah, absolutely. I, um, sometimes they'll, uh, the three that are chose that are chosen are completely hopeless, but usually I'll just pick one of those three. Um, if not, I'll just go and do a frame grab from somewhere else in the video that shows either the completed project or the package or shows something interesting happening. And yeah, I am completely breaking all the best practices of YouTube. If, if you wanted to grow your channel as fast as possible, if you wanted to be a full-time YouTuber, if you wanted uh, a huge audience and all the rest of that, then yeah, you would want to make custom thumbnails every time. Um, they claim that you want to put a face in there, but obviously I'm not going to do that and neither are you because neither of us use our faces on our, on our channels. Um, they, you uh, they say you want, uh, really high energy and big letters and all the rest of that. And I don't care. People aren't coming to my channel for flashy graphics. It's... Oh, I, I feel you. <laughs> I have, you know what about the faces thing? I actually have a plan to test. It won't, it probably won't be out by the time this podcast is live, but I have a plan to test the faces uh, thing because obviously 
throughout the history of my channel, uh, all, uh, geez, I don't know, 270 videos or something like that. I don't know, 200 and some. Never once has a thumbnail had a face. I put a lot of effort into my thumbnails, which, by the way, nobody has ever commented on, which really kind of hurts because yeah, I've got, anyways, my, my thumbnail <laughs> game, I think, has been getting even better recently, but regardless, but um, I have a video idea which will require a second person and that person said I could use their face making a silly face as the thumbnail. So if that video breaks the, the average viewer thing, like the, the we get a basically we get like a gray line of expected views. If it goes above that gray line, that means that it's true. <laughs> Be an interesting experiment to try. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll wait to see your results, but and it's not really a direction that that uh, that I care to go in. Um, it's not that I'm offended by it or opposed by it. I just don't care to put in the effort because that's not what interests me. Absolutely. I come from. Um, I, I was a uh, hobbyist photographer for uh, a couple of years before YouTube. So, and I also have uh, GAS which is a, 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 it's a, it's a, this function that, that a lot of photographers have, it's called gear acquisition syndrome where, uh, yes. Yeah. You just can continuously troll the used markets and, and you just keep, you know, my photography would be so much better if I only had X, Y, or Z. And that this is why I have a super awesome macro lens, which you've seen in uh, my soldering up close um, video, the little, the, the quick little thing and that's what I use to shoot my thumbnails so I shoot my thumbnails like usually really up close really shallow depth of field like f2.8 if I can uh, if I can do it so yeah I have expensive gear from that uh, which I use now for this and it's worth more to me to make these thumbnails with it than to sell it for a third of what I paid for them right so yeah and if that's, uh, yeah, and it seems reasonable, if that's what your skills and your interests are, then absolutely go for it. That's, uh, but again, I don't, I think the only time I made a conscious effort to make a thumbnail that's sort of compliant with all the best practices is for my April Fool's video this year. And that was, again, an intentional choice to poke fun at the standard YouTube advice uh, compliant thumbnail. I'm just looking for it really quick. I can't I can't find it because you're not on the first page of results for pile of stuff April Fools. What what uh, search term it, should I use just so I can have contact? Uh, ASMR. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Because oh, I, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing I was just completely poking fun at the whole concept of ASMR. Uh, I started the video uh, searching on or searching on YouTube for what's what's the most popular thing right now what's uh how can i sell out that kind of search terms and just went from there and used sound effects of rattling around in my beer fridge and playing pool and throwing darts and playing golf and and some people said it actually was more realistic than a normal or more asmr than a normal asmr video so i think i failed at the joke but I made a video outside my comfort zone and that's the one time of the year when you can actually get away with making a complete left turn on your video. 
And so for the viewers of this podcast, you should go look it up. But I will just spoil it for you. So uh, the one video where Pile of Stuff decided to put all the best practices in place and even has a short video, which typically has more click-through rate, uh, he has only a thousand views. It's about a third of what I would expect from a typical video out of his channel. Yeah, and a part of that I attribute to just everybody's leery of clicking on unusual things on April 1st. And part of it is it's so different from anything that I normally do that my normally normal viewers you know don't care or didn't like it. And I fully expected that too. And I'm surprised it broke a thousand, quite honestly. Dave Jones really does get away with the April Fool's stuff because because of his 12-hour advance on us, I get had by him every single time. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago, he collaborated with Ben Heck, was it, to uh, to do one? Um, yeah, there's... There, there's some uh, some pretty amazing uh, April Fool's pranks that have been done, and then a lot of people just do an average one, kind of like what what I did. I'm I'm surprised it got as many views as it did. I really am. I spent an hour on my last April Fool's video, but um, a key component broke during the filming, so I didn't get to use it. So maybe <laughs> next year, but I'm not giving away what it is. So you know, so I yeah, get keep it in my back pocket. Yeah, and. I have done you know, special occasion videos. I did uh, short Canada Day ones for a couple of years, but I just didn't get around to it this year. Um, I don't normally. I I don't go in that direction unless I feel specifically motivated. I mean, last year the Canada Day one, I I built myself a flag made out of uh, I think seventy five or eighty LEDs or something like that. But again, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't intended to be a high viewership one. And it was, it was just something that I felt like doing because it was Canada day. And I threw it together in a few weeks beforehand, which again, I don't usually think that far ahead for my videos. I'm usually only a week or so ahead of when I, when I record it. I that typically, said, I, might, I might record a few weeks before you guys see it. Um, especially since I, if I know I'm going on call or something, I'm not going to have time to work on something, but but yeah, typically it's only a week or so between thinking of the idea and pushing record. Yeah, same same here, um, or or even less. But for the holiday videos, I typically have an idea a week before it's due, obviously, and then I'm mm -hmm. like, oh no, I need this one key component, and since I order everything from China, well, there goes that idea. Yeah, that's. And that's the benefit of having a ridiculous stash of stuff, which the mailbags are feeding into. I'm getting to the point where, well, like my ambitious but rubbish uh, Skycam video or project, I had everything that I needed sitting in boxes and drawers and whatever here to make that prototype without having to order anything for that set of prototypes. Now that I'm trying to actually make it work stably, yeah, I've ordered more stuff and it's going to take a month or more to get here. But I, at least that's how I justify the or, uh, a lot of the stuff I buy in the mailbags too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's talk about stuff you buy that doesn't come from uh, China. Tell us about the, your your beer fascination. Are you just a, a beer guy or did it start as a as a sort of a thing on your channel and became a theme what's the what's the deal with the beer that sort of um hmm 
the I I've been a beer drinker for years uh, since since college probably, but uh, not not really fascinated or interested in the craft beers until right around the same time as I started the channel actually. The laws changed in Manitoba to allow microbreweries and craft breweries uh, to start popping up left, right, and center. And as they did, I started exploring uh, all the different styles of beer that they were making that you didn't get a lot of previously. And then I decided it was my personal mission to try and keep all these little breweries from going bankrupt. No, wait, that doesn't sound right. Um, but... <laughs> At least one of them, right? Grandpa's yeah, sweater? Well... That's, yeah, um, and the fact that uh, Barnhammer Brewing happens to literally be across the back lane from from uh, one of the places that I uh, regularly go to for work doesn't hurt. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, just, there's so much variety, and I started, I started having a, a beer on my workbench or a coffee or something when I was uh, doing the videos just because I wanted to have some kind of a drink available because I'm talking and you want to wet your whistle. Uh, and then people started asking what the beer was. So I started answering it. Then I started proactively mentioning it either at the beginning or at the end of the video. And now I've sort of settled into the intro of the video is basically just me pouring myself a beer and, uh, and reading the tasting notes off the label. And it, I try and keep that you know down to under 20 or 30 seconds because Nobody wants to sit through an long intro in a video, but yeah, it's just sort of evolved like most of the things I do for the videos. That's really that's really interesting because um, I speak to uh, Gadget Reboot as I think you do too, and uh, and and he's a beer guy too. But it just they never make an appearance in his video. Really, the the pouring of the beer and the and the beer glass being there, and I feel honored by the way that my logo is now your your beer holder um but that that seems to be something of your own i haven't seen any other youtube channels do it like that yeah and it wasn't really a conscious choice for the video so like i said i just um way back when i was doing more model railroad videos um those recordings or well the the building the projects is really time consuming which is part of uh, part of the model making hobby it just it's designed to take time, which is what you, what a hobby does, right? It just fills in your spare time. But I always had a drink there just, just because I'm sitting there for hours and you kind of need to wet your whistle once in a while. And yeah, as, as people started asking about it, I started uh, focusing on it more. That said, I have had a few commenters who are really offended by alcohol, uh, try and convince me that it's a horrible thing that I'm doing, promoting drinking and stuff. And, I tell them to do their own thing on their channel and I'll do my thing on my channel. It's like you should release a, um, a special edition uh, with, the, with the, the, the beer replaced by the walkie-talkie or something like the South Park episode. <laughs> I'll, 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 direct, I'll direct them to a video where I've got a cup of coffee sitting there. Hopefully they won't be offended by caffeine. Well, I was pretty offended that uh, the the one of your videos, I don't remember which one, but it was only about 15 or 20 minutes long and the beer turned into coffee and then back to beer. So I have a feeling a that beer. there's some, yeah, I have a feeling that there's some editing stuff going on there. I don't think you actually did that whole project in 20 minutes. No, exactly. And that, that one actually uh, was recorded over a period of about a week uh, just as I had spare time. 
um, the the coffee cup happened to be a couple of different days in the middle, but yeah, and it was a different beer as well. Part of that was I could have chosen to have the same mug or the same cup there all the time and nobody would notice, but part of that was to indicate the passage of time. Yes. Just with the passage of the beer. Of, yes, of, of course. It was a, it was an artistic choice. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, look, I would also be remiss if I didn't ask you about um, another one of your family members who's appeared on camera face and all, I think, uh, three or four times now. Can you tell me a little bit about your dog? Lance, yeah, he's... Uh... He's he's just a purebred mutt. Um, we have no idea what he is. We picked him up at a uh, at a shelter. Uh, I want to say three or four years ago, probably. He's he's just a good dog. He's yeah. I mean the the best dogs are are mutts, right? They're not uh, some hoity-toity purebred. Wonder how many people I just offended. Um, <laughs> Lots, but he <laughs> me included. <laughs> but. He's, he's my walking partner. Um, when he sees me grab my, uh, my headphones, uh, to listen to a podcast, he starts spinning donuts in the middle of the room and heads for the door to grab his leash. And he knows that we're going out for a nice hour long walk. Um, he's yeah. He's, and his other job is to dissuade door to door salespeople. Cause he gets so excited when somebody comes to the door, he barks and he's just lunging and trying to get as close as he can to them. And it makes it really easy to say, no, I don't want to buy your eaves trough repair or religion or whatever it is that you're trying to sell me door to door. Go away. I can't listen to you anyway. The dog's making too much noise. <laughs> so for that, he gets an extra cookie. Any chance of, uh, of, of Lance making appearances on any future videos? Um, if I'm doing something outside, uh, that's he, he, doesn't know that he's capable of going down the basement stairs. So he always just stops at the top of the stairs and he won't come down here. So if I'm testing something outside, then yeah, probably. But, uh, it's, it's not a conscious choice to put him in the videos, but if I happen to be where he is, then sure. He'll probably poke his nose in. I love it when, uh, AVE's dog, uh, shows up and I, I loved it when Lance showed up in your, your videos. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, AVE's dog Buddy is a nice, is a good boy too. He's uh, he's a very mellow dog, it seems. Oh, he seems so old too because his face is now uh, gone from gold to almost white. Yeah, slow moving. Oh, our our guy is well. We don't know because he came from a shelter, but we think he's probably uh, seven or eight years old. So he's likely going to start slowing down, but he still really enjoys the the epic uh, hour long walks. That's awesome. And in this neighborhood, there's a fair bit of parkland and a lot of uh, walking trails, so we can pick different uh, different paths, and he can have different trees to inspect each time we go out. So, I grew up with a uh, a purebred uh, Sheltie, but um, somewhere up the line, they had inserted um, some collie into the mix uh, because the collie they used was a by blue merle. I don't know if you know anything about dogs or or whatever. No. Not, but a not, blue, not especially, no. <laughs> so by blue just means that um, the dark fur, like the black fur, is uh, so has a bluish tinge to it. And a by means two, oh, okay. two colors. So it was white and blue. Right. 
but when he was okay. born he grew he he had the recessive genes of um of the collie in him so he was going to be too tall to be a show dog so he's a he's technically a purebred with the by blue merling on him but um they they already knew uh he would be over the limit so he'd be too big to be a traditional sheltie so we got him for like dirt cheap basically with the understanding that we would just neuter him and then that would be the end of the by blue we can't resell the by blue merle right um but he was holy crap he was an intelligent dog like um so basically a sheltie with uh collie recessive traits he it was incredible watching the the gears go in in his brain when he would when he would like come up to a situation he hasn't seen before and he was just it's just an amazing dog oh yeah collies can be some of the smartest dogs you encounter if you can find one that's been uh, been well raised and well trained it's it's amazing some of the stuff they can do oh absolutely absolutely so I feel like we should uh, start wrapping this up a little bit, but I have a question that I want to ask all of my guests, and um, a tornado cut uh, cut me off from uh, from asking uh, junk from work, but I definitely want uh, your opinion on this. So it's a little bit of a setup here, but um, basically the government in this setup gives you a grant to start a business, whatever business that you would ever want to make, like just your, the business of your dreams. Uh, profitability is not a concern really so if if your business loses money the government would top you off uh, so you don't have to worry about that Uh, what kind of business would you start and I'm guessing in your situation it would be either in lieu of your current full-time job or uh, when you retire probably a bricks and mortar hobby shop for all the various weird niche and unrelated hobbies that I'm interested in um, if, if profitability is not a factor, then yeah, a combination electronics, model railroad, geocaching, um, DIY craft beer store. You're into geocaching. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I haven't done, been out, uh, very much in the last six months or something, but for two or three years, my son and I went out just about every weekend. Very interesting. The wife and I were just talking about uh, getting started with that. Uh, we were going to go look what's available around our house. And if there's nothing, then we would just make stuff. We would submit stuff, basically. Yeah. Um, one one piece of advice for beginning geocachers, uh, try and get two or 300 finds under your belt before you decide to start putting out uh, your own caches because there's a lot of beginning geocachers will put out what tend to be either fairly weak containers. Uh, they don't survive well in the weather or they're not all that creative a hide or it's, or they just do something that there's a million of because that's the only experience they have with geocaches. But once you've got a couple hundred finds under your belt, you'll have seen some of the most creative work in your area. And you'll have some, uh, some much better ideas of where to go and people will like it a lot better. I think that sounds like fair advice for a lot of beginners, right? Is, uh, watch and learn and then, and then do, right. You can't really contribute to a community until you know what the community can contribute 
or like what kind of stuff is needed in the community or whatever yeah i've seen that in lots of places where somebody who's new and eager and doesn't have a lot of experience comes in showing off their their thing that they just discovered which is something that everybody else has known for the past 50 years but if you've got a good group everybody will encourage you anyways and nudge you in the right direction to uh to build on your your most recent success yeah that makes a lot of sense it really does it's i, I think it's a it's a great sort of combination of of things right because you go out into wilderness and take a walk not always wilderness but i i mean like in the outdoors to take a walk and then on top of that you can get that extra reward of like participating in a sort of internet based uh, treasure hunt right yeah and there's there's a lot of puzzle solving involved um and yeah there's even if you don't find something you've still been out and had a walk around and you find a lot of places that you wouldn't normally have gone um that's what i've noticed a lot of people comment is i never would have been to this area or this forest or this park or this neighborhood if geocaching hadn't brought me here or this mountaintop or this river or whatever right so even even if you don't find what you're looking for you're still out for an adventure so how would you know if somebody had vandalized or stolen the, the the cash then like let's say you solve a puzzle you get to where you're pretty damn sure it's supposed to be and there's nothing how do you know that you haven't solved it wrong versus somebody just stole it um well sometimes you'll find the destroyed remnants of it but most of the time it's a toss-up if if you're uh, confident in your abilities and you've got some experience and you know that this is the only place that it could be and it's not there, then you post, well, regardless, you posted did not find log and uh, you check back in a few few days or weeks and see if anybody else's posted did not find or, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only way to do it. If there's a lot of uh, did not find logs on one, then eventually the cash owner is supposed to go out and check on it or a previous uh, finder will will go and check on it. You can also request a hint or a clue if you want to. Uh, most people will, will uh, be fairly free with those because the point of the game is for people to actually find the thing, not for you to stump everybody. Any gatekeepers in the uh, geocaching community? Uh, there's almost always one in the local area. But that's, again, with pretty much any hobby. Uh, but for the most part, people want to see other people enjoy what they've, uh, what they've put some effort into. And some people put hours and hours of effort into building the containers, um, building it to look like, like sculpting a fake log uh, like a fake log in the forest to to put out or building uh, an elaborate birdhouse to hose, house their uh, their cache in or something like that. That's incredible. Or some that are uh, really elaborate mechanical puzzles um, that can take like 20 minutes to solve once you find the physical item. That's pretty nuts. I I really like seeing the people that are that dedicated to their craft and, and what they do and how they do it. That's uh, It's really impressive to me um, the way in which uh, creative people sort of like direct their creative juices. Like it, it, I feel like 
it doesn't really matter what they're into. They could have been into anything, but they would have done it to that level of extreme, you know? Oh, yeah. And again, every hobby, you're going to find people like that that are just so into it that they bring everybody else along for their ride and generally raise the skill level of everybody around them that's in the hobby. Yeah, that's... And I mean, with YouTube and uh, with our community of electronics uh, enthusiasts, it's incredible the amount of uh, talent that that's just out there for people to see. Like, I don't even know about half these YouTube channels. I see them shared on on Reddit and um, I see them shared on Twitter more than I actually find them uh, organically. Like, YouTube is great for showing me what they think I want to see, but I don't think they really know what I want to see. No, a lot of times they're showing you things that are similar to things that you've enjoyed, you've watched in the past, um, which isn't necessarily if you want to, if you want to take a complete left turn and watch something completely new and different, it's not going to suggest that because it has no way of knowing that you might be interested in skateboarding videos today even though you haven't watched any in two years or something right i know we're supposed to be trying to wrap this up a bit but you brought up skateboarding (laughs) and that just reminded me that you're a fan of braille skateboarding as am i what what about that channel do you like uh, the you make it we skate it is what got me started on it specifically it's a series that they do that they invite people to send in homemade skateboards made out of random whatever, and they'll try and uh, try and skate them. Um, several years ago, when they started that, there were some really creative and bizarre ones came in, like welding channels build or welding YouTube channel built a skateboard out of logging chain welded together, stuff like that. That's uh, again most of the videos that I watch are based on people that are making stuff or doing things with their hands or doing some activity. I very, very seldom watch vloggers and stuff like that. It's almost always something where there's a product or an item or an object at the end of the video where essentially they're making a video, they're making two things at once, right? They're making the video and they're making whatever thing it is that they're making. So that sort of interest led me into that you make it we skate it series that braille does and i just kind of got to know the personalities and just decided to stick around i mean i haven't set foot on a skateboard in probably 40 years so and my knees and my back aren't going to allow me to do it uh right now and so i just sort of do it vicariously through those guys i guess I just I just have to brag here that I've landed a kickflip last year. So there's that. Woo-hoo! I know, I know. I can't believe it. But I haven't been on it all this year. And you know what? Um, I think global warming has really killed skateboarding for me because even last year, uh, trying to skate when I had time, it was like the dead of summer. At like 9 a.m., it was already 35 degrees Celsius. Um, and, you know, and we're in Canada. This is it's supposed to be cold. Like, what, what the hell happened? Yeah, you have to take your skateboard to the campus and uh, see if you can find a few ledges. Yeah, well, we actually have a skateboard. Or, or they'll fire you. <laughs> yeah, they probably they probably would fire me because they uh they there's skate stoppers everywhere. Even though like skateboarding hasn't been mainstream for a little while now, I would say 
it, I, I would say the culture has died off quite a bit in my area um, because like all our skate parks are all dilapidated. There's still people skateboarding, of course. But when I was in high school skateboarding um, in the early aughts, I guess, uh, there was tons of people skateboarding and we had like lots of skate shops and, and all sorts of things like that. Those things don't really exist as much in my area anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, there's there's actually a surprising number of decent skate parks around Winnipeg, uh, including one fairly major one downtown at a major tourist area that for some reason, Tony Hawk and his friends realized that it existed and just showed up one day in Winnipeg to skate this skate park. Oh, that's incredible. I know the, uh, the, the few people that were there, um, I, nobody had video cameras, uh, or well, nobody had phones with video cameras on them. Um, so there's not that much video of it except for what they did themselves. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, anybody who was there was just amazed that these guys had showed up from California to their local skate park. Would you be into something like a boosted board for that last mile of, um, sort of transportation like uh, to get you to the beer store and back for example uh the the condition of the roads and sidewalks around here aren't really conducive to to something with that small wheels uh on the on the sidewalks it just the the temperatures that we get the soil conditions underneath the roads the freeze thaw cycles everything else just destroys the roads and sidewalks it's it's one of the biggest uh, headaches that the city has trying to keep everything from being pothole city all the time. So I don't it's think been, that would be super practical. It's been really rough on, on my town. I live in, in Ottawa, obviously. And because our winters now anywhere between sort of February and April ish, the, the weather will be like minus 20 one day and then the next day it'll be minus 10 the next day it'll be zero or one or two and then the next day it will be minus 10 and then minus 20 the the amount of freeze thaw cycles that we're getting now instead of being sort of like twice per season like twice in spring and uh twice in fall now it's something like 20 or 30 times per fall and thir 20 or 30 times per um, spring so now it's like it's terrible like the the potholes the potholes themselves are starting to get potholes inside them it's insane oh yeah it's uh there's and there's nothing they can do with it we get the same same freeze thaw cycles here a little bit deeper freeze but that doesn't really bother the concrete but um, just the shrinkage and expansion of the roads and the soil underneath it that all the roads and sidewalks are sitting on top of is made out of some really crappy clay like lake bottom clay and it moves a lot between being dry and being wet um stuff can heave like a foot um, there's a lot of places you see fence posts popped out of the ground and stuff so it's just a combination of uh of stuff makes the roads really really hard to maintain around here yeah that's what's how bad about get, ours too how, how did we get into civil engineering <laughs> i don't know but but my wife is a civil engineer so so it's kind of always on my mind, I guess. But that being said, um, I'm going to let you get back to your busy schedule, but I need to know where can the, where can the listeners find you? Where, where do you want them to find you? Do you want them to go straight to your YouTube channel? 
that's probably the best youtube.com slash pile of stuff. Uh, everything's everything else that I do, which isn't much is linked there. Um, I have an Instagram that I almost never use, but I just wanted to plant my flag on the name. So nobody else took it. Um, I have a Patreon for some of my generous supporters, not many, but some to, uh, to throw me a buck and buy me a beer now and again. And that is my main, uh, my main social media stuff. And I guess on Reddit, uh, if you wanted to look at the mailbag video subreddit, uh, I'm, I'm there as the only moderator, so I'm easy to find there too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, that's, that's about, uh, all that I need to promote anyway. And, uh, and if you guys aren't subscribed to pile of stuff's uh, YouTube channel, you should definitely go over there and hit a subscribe because especially with stuff like the mailbag videos and the Skycam videos, uh, they're, they're quite like they're very very good videos but they won't get served to you organically because basically until you have a hundred thousand subscribers your job is to drive traffic yourself pretty much um but i thank you so much for joining me on episode three of the simple electronics podcast and um and for you listeners out there i thank you very much for sitting through uh, nearly two hours of this podcast and i hope to catch you on the next one see you guys later